C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man writes, We make men without chess and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Friends, it's Morgan, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. We are diving into the Become Good Soil intensive 2019, kind of sneak peek behind the curtain, raw and unedited journey of the audios from that event. Today, we're about to dive into part five. This was a really beautiful time. This was the first intensive that John was fully a part of, and I had the privilege of a very um, intimate and authentic interview where I brought John up into this session and just got to ask some really sacred questions, um, kind of excavating his story for the benefit of all the men participating. We had this conversation before John published Get Your Life Back, and so it has a lot of echoes of that content, and that's a great place to explore beyond this. But my invitation for you is to dive in and to take the next step and to have this resource for the next month. So let's turn to session five of the Become Good Soil Intensive. Young, good men, much like you, 72 that were sitting with uh, Dallas Willard, uh, one of our heroes in the faith. And they said to him eagerly, Dallas, um, what, what do you do on a normal day like to live in this, to stay in the kingdom? And in his Dallas-esque way, he said, well, you have to be very careful with that question. He said, there are few very normal days. (sighs) He said, but the question I ask is, what is it that I can do on every day? Just the kind strength in that. And what he began to say to those young men is, on every day, I begin this day when I open my eyes and God's given me this day by crying out, Father, Father, Father. And you can do that every day in your bed, when you wake, if you're not home yet and you're given another day to cry out, Father. And I want to begin this morning with that reorientation. Wherever you are in this moment, on this day, just pause and just get to receive a bit of orientation to a God-initiated world, a God-breathed world. He formed the earth from the earth, from the soil. He formed Adam. And he started our life in this world with a kiss. And he breathed the roach, the breath of God. He breathed face to face, soul to soul. And so let's reorient to that. I want to read a story to you and just invite you to um, receive it. Close your eyes if you want. 
settle in for a few minutes. There may be other words in the scriptures that are more significant to receive, but in my 20 years of searching, I haven't found them. This word found me in a moment when I was ragged and pining for death. It would have been shame enough if it was my own bank account that I squandered on follies I don't even remember, but I blew the whole thing. Everything coming to me from my father's estate. Half of everything he'd inherited himself and worked a lifetime to multiply. I cashed it in when I had my chance, setting out to make life work on my own terms, leaving my father behind to be the laughingstock of our community. All I had to show for it was a tattoo, an empty stomach, and a shattered heart. It was early in the morning on the day that everything changed. The crisp frost of autumn glistened on the wooden posts in the still morning air. My body ached from cold. Head to toe, under the threadbare wool tunic I'd used again for a blanket, I lifted my head from the dung-filled thatch that had become my bed. I looked at the pigs surrounding me, rooting aimlessly without care or concern through yesterday's scraps. What have I done, I thought. But it went deeper. Who have I become? Shame, grief, sorrow washed over me as my consciousness slowly awakened with the breaking of a new day. The stench of death enveloped me even as a stain of light began to spread across the horizon. I wanted to die. It was the only way out of this pain. The words trickled into my mind like a seep from a broken well, tired, weary, alone, broken, empty, ashamed, and in need. And then suddenly the dawn broke free and a spill of fresh light caused the frost on the heaps of dung to shimmer in a way that I could only describe as beautiful. I pressed my hands into the cold earth, shimmied over the splintered wall of the sty. I rubbed my fingers together, blowing warm breath over cracked skin. My thoughts drifted to my father's hired hands. It'd been a long time since I had thought of them or anything from my former life. In the cold of the morning, I thought of their warm bunkhouse. In the stench of the pen, I thought of the meals they would enjoy today, so different from sifting through a shred of nourishment, through these scraps that I could wrestle from insistent snouts. There was a flickering of light within me that I hadn't felt in years, something in my heart began to rise. Father's hired hands live better than I. What if I go back? What if I plead for mercy? I'll ask if I could become a servant, a slave even, at least I'd be warm. It's my only hope. While the walk through rugged country was a full day's journey, I can recall little from those hours. I had deadened most of my senses. My heart had learned to want for little and look for even less. But what I do remember until this very day was the glow of that light behind him when I crested the rise in his silhouette. The light from the cabin was so warm and inviting. In the silhouette, it was unmistakable. I knew the stature of those broad shoulders anywhere. 
it was him. What would I say? It had been years since I left with my half of everything. Moons since I turned my back on him and his story. It happened all so fast. What I remember first is one word. It reached into my heart like a fiery coal. It pierced my deepest places. And I've never been the same since. Quick. It echoed through the box canyon that had sheltered my family for generations. The reverberations against the cliff walls caused it to sink deeper and deeper into my soul. He shouted back over his shoulder as he ran, calling for a fattened calf to be slaughtered and a feast to be prepared. The next moments were all a blur. I hadn't seen my dad run in nearly two decades. He was advanced in years and much of his strength had long since left him. Our land is an unforgiving one. The harshness has a way of taking the best strength from a man. And grief as well had drained his vigor. The grief of a son wishing he were dead. But he ran with wild abandon. His sandaled feet flailed. The wild hair was longer than I remembered. The glow from behind him set it alight like a shimmering mane. His robe sailed on wind. He was strong, alive, and running right at me. I remember those arms, the smell, those tears, and more than anything, his laughter. All my words left me. My confusion was replaced with something I can only call home. He pulled me up as if I also were young again. And still to this day, I can't explain how, but he did. Like a man in his full strength of youth, neither tired nor weary, he held me and he laughed. The laughter and the tears washed me clean in a way I had never known possible. Quick, he called back to the cabin. Find my tambourine. Prepare a feast. My son has come home. It was the way he said son that finally broke open a vault of fear and shame at the core of my being. It'd been years since someone called me son. Never, be never before had I felt the safety and the wealth laden in this name. In my name, I'm still a son. I never imagined that possibility, not after what I have done, where I had gone, who I'd become, but the word quick still hung on the canyon walls, shattering every possible doubt. Words began tumbling out of my mouth. I'm embarrassed to think of them now. Looking back, there were the last vestiges of shame bubbling up as desperation. I was asking him if he'd take me back as a servant. After what I'd done and who I'd become, even to ask for this mercy felt preposterous. And I watched his face, and I won't ever forget those eyes. Piercing blue, endless ocean, bottomless sea. They were brilliant and safe, and they were the answer to the questions so deep inside of me, I didn't even know to ask. His words were few, his laughter, and his tears are what I remember. He set me down and hastily stooped to the red, dry earth. I thought he was finally showing the reality of his years and collapsing from exertion. And then I realized he was taking off his sandals. 
Before I could understand, he was putting them on my tired, bloody feet. Bewilderment and awe seized me. Before my mind could make sense of it all, I felt his strong, weathered hands holding mine. I felt the warm metal as he slid his signet ring on my finger. His smell was intoxicating. He put his robe on my shoulders. His laughter and tears haunt me to this day. They haunt me every day. Never before and never since have I received and witnessed something so raw and so real. He yelled with the strength of an exultant warrior and the joy of a heart made whole again. I don't know if it was the glow of the countless stars on the moonlit night or his words that seemed to light up the box canyon in a way that I hadn't ever seen before or since in our land. My son was lost and he is found. My son was dead and he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. That was years ago, but my heart remembers it like it was yesterday. And there isn't a sunrise that I don't find myself stretching my memory back to the canyon to watch my dad run towards me again, running wild and young and free. I was dead. And I came back to life that day. In those arms, through those tears, I became my father's son. I came home. And everything changed. Everything. Our life begins in you. Our life begins with you. You are the center of the story, the hero of the story. And we belong to you, God. So we ask for the fullness of your inheritance today. God, that you would give us, as you promise in Galatians, the full access to all that you have given to your son, Jesus, the equal access to the riches of the kingdom of heaven poured out for us. We consecrate this time and we declare your rule, your jurisdiction, your authority, and we ask that you would pour in your river. In Jesus' name. Hmm. There uh, was this beautiful tree across the street from my house. Uh, and in my little suburban neighborhood, it's all fenced and, you know, kind of postage stamp gridded out. And uh, in some ways, it's falsely protected from the winds. And the prevailing winds come from kind of, this is northwest, so they come west-northwest, but once in a while they swing northeast. And this rogue wind came, the Chinook that turned off the front range, there was actually a pair, came right down our street, and this tree came down. It was an old tree that was planted when the neighborhood was established. And I walked down to the root system of this pine and saw this. And it was like shocking to my soul because this big, beautiful tree had no roots. It's intended to have a taproot one and a half times the length of the trunk. That's the kind of the anatomy of the species. And instead, all it had was this surface network 
um, in an arid place from a sprinkler system that just watered it from the surface. And it wasn't until the wind came that it was tested and revealed the nature of reality. It's just a symbol, a parable of it's not until the storm comes that shakes the house, the violence, the winds, the tornado, NIV says, until we actually see what the house is built upon. What we cannot see is far more important than what we do see. It matters most. And it will be revealed one day. Everything, as I said, was prologue. And yesterday evening, we touched on this idea of habitat, that you were designed for a habitat, and it's only in participating with God to cultivate a habitat for your soul to survive and then thrive that you can become the man God intended you to be. But in that habitat, there's much that we need to do in that participation with God that he has for us. And this morning is about that. And I want to share the story and then invite uh, my friend to come up. Another story about Dallas. He said, toward the end of one of Dallas's philosophy classes, a student raised an objection that was both insulting toward Dallas and clearly wrong. And instead of correcting him, Dallas gently said, this would be a good place to end the class for the day. And afterward, a friend approached Dallas and said, why'd you let him get away with that? Why didn't you demolish him? And Dallas replied, oh, I was practicing the discipline of not having the last word. He said, being right is actually a very hard burden to carry gracefully and humbly. That's why nobody likes to sit next to the kid in class who's right all the time. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt people with it. He was practicing the discipline of not having the last word. My question for you this morning, question for this time together is, what is it that you're practicing? Within the context of a habitat, there are habits, there's a shape, there are practices, there's a way of living that becomes the conduit of the life of God. And I want to ask John to come join me to have a conversation about this topic. I particularly wanted to ask John to help host this conversation because you've been writing on it. You've been living in it specifically in this year, but generally this idea that the habits are what root us yes. in the life of God. Yes. And, and like Jeremiah 17, they, when they graft into the riverbank, the river of God, then whatever the weather, whatever the season, there is fruit. Um, so I just want to ask you some questions. Yes. Um, maybe starting with, at one point, you were 30, you were 35, you were part of this 72. Could you take us back there a little bit? What do you remember? And maybe even in a bit of contrast of like then and now as it relates to how you lived, right? Like how you stayed 
rooted, what's grown over the years. At one point you had little kids. This was just launching. Mm -hmm. How did habits, exercises, practices kind of mature for you? And what was like in like the throes of this season, right? Because you're in a different season now. So can you take us back there a little bit? In those 30 years, three young boys, mm. married um, at one point, full-time job and in grad school. And that's when we wrote Sacred Romance. So it was pretty mad. You know, it was, it was, a, pretty, it was a pretty wild time. But I loved the outdoors. And I would get outdoors every opportunity I could. Um, I remember when I was writing Wild at Heart, um, I bought a mountain bike and I would bike through U Park mm -hmm. from Chokecherry mm -hmm. and it was like I got my life back. Mm. Um, so I would, I would seek out those things yeah. that would bring me life mm. and felt sustaining to my soul that I could pull off yes. in dad, yep. husband, full-time job, grad school. Yep. And I would just look, look for those moments, look for those, look for those things and even down to stuff like this. So like in grad school, you know, they'd give out an assignment and I would just kind of quickly evaluate, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and now you, you understand, I am a recovering perfectionist. Like I was a straight A student um, before I got kicked out of high school. Um, and, and, and I'm the kind of guy that loves to, you know, Jim's thing. Don't just win, but like win big, mm. you know, crush everybody. <laughs> And, and I would just look at that and go, that's going to damage my soul if I do that. Mm. If I bust my balls to mm. get that done between, you know, 11 and 1 a.m., mm. I, 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 don't, I don't want that. I don't want that effect mm. on me. So I just wouldn't do it. Mm. So there was just this stubborn insistence yeah. on where's the nourishment. Yeah. And I am walking away from those things that I can walk away from that do harm to my soul. Mm. What would 58-year-old John say to 35-year-old John as it relates to living in the dailies mm -hmm. that he didn't know at the time? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the same thing that I want to say to you guys this morning. You, your soul matters immensely. Despite that, I, I, don't, I don't know that I would have said that at the time. I don't mm -hmm. know that I would have said my soul matters mm -hmm. and my soul is worth caring for. Your soul matters. That, I mean, just that alone. Because here's the bottom line. Why don't we do these things? Right. Why don't we do these things? So can you give an example of as you see 35-year-old John where you go, oh, he was acting really like his soul doesn't matter, looking back. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a progression of, of healing in anyone's story. And I was still living out of a lot of drivenness. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say the pace of my life, mm -hmm. the pace of my life, my, my basic approach was charge everything. Just to, just charge mm -hmm. everything. Um, so if it's a family outing, let's charge it. You know, if it's work, charge it. If it, you know, just attack mm -hmm. it, go. And that was just super unkind. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it there was no genuine rhythm, and especially not in my day, mm -hmm. to kindness, care for the soul, 
putting down roots, yep. that that sort of yep. thing. I, I, you know, soul matters, and you're living at an insane pace. Yeah. Is probably what I would say. Mm. And I think I would say to I would think I would say to young me is you're you're far more loved than you know. Mm. You're far more loved yes. than you know. You're yes. acting like you're not loved. Mm. Right? That's I mean, that, that's good. That's what most of that was, was born out of. Mm. Yeah. Yep. One of the, um, I think, core pieces, this gospel that is missing in a lot of Christendom this day, as we talk about, is inner restoration. Yes. Right? And that's where yes. you just see a too yes. much power, too little kingdom, the yep. leverage. Yep. And what we're after is the inner restoration. One of the things I think I've come to appreciate and see in this message is the secret life of a man is often his great shame and kind of the debilitator when in fact it's meant to be his great power. Mm -hmm. His secret life mm -hmm. is something that's meant to be his great treasure. Mm -hmm. And I think if there's anything that I've come to know about you, you have a pretty sacred secret life that's yeah. your strength. I know you do. Yeah, I do. Um, because these men love you and I love you and want to learn in the spirit of like spiritual practices, can you give us a glimpse? Can you pull the curtain back on? Hey, here's something people don't know. It's part of my secret life. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a fuel mm -hmm. that, um, Oh, it's, mm -hmm. I wish people knew this is where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Can you pull a curtain back? <clears throat> sure. Kind of, maybe <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, here are two things. Here is a stick, and here is a rock. I, I carry stuff like this around in my pocket, and I um, hold it, and I feel it. Um, when we were in Wales, um, I had, Blake came into my room at one point in the Wales boot camp. He's like, what are all these sticks and rocks, dude? <laughs> this is my son. So this, you know. It's like, what the That's hell great. are you? Why do you have all these sticks and rocks? Um, and, and here's, there's a whole thing. There's a whole thing behind this. So um, loving the real, yeah. loving the real and hating what is fake. Okay. So um, this, this was a survey done by the World Health Organization in 2001. So you can imagine how dramatic the data has. 2001. We spent 93% of our life indoors. Okay? You've, you mm. have lived 93% of your life indoors. You have no idea how damaging that is to the soul. Because that means that you have, your soul, which is created for this habitat, mm. right, um, has been put into a styrofoam box most of your life. And... Um, and so instead of the real, you live in an artificial world, right? Um, the weather is artificial because it's controlled by the HVAC, right? And the sounds are artificial. It's the whir of the technology. It's the click. It's the beep. It's the, right? So your sounds, 
are artificial. Your weather is artificial. Mm. Um, everything you touch, just about, is artificial. It's mm. fake. It's some sort of faux wood, plastic, you know, vinyl, mm. something, carpet. And instead of like, you know, fresh air mm. and 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 life and enlivening things, you know, for the soul most of what is in that artificial world actually off-gasses toxins um, and poisons you all day long. Um, and so um, it, this is a flight back to the real for me because I live in that world too, guys. I live in a normal house. I don't live in a teepee, you know. And I, <clears throat> I drive, you know, from my house to work, and so I'm in an artificial environment in my car and artificial weather and artificial set, you know, and then I walk into an office building. And, and so I began to look for practices that would get me back to the real mm. and that would ground my soul in the real. Um, so loving the real is, is just an enormous step in the right direction in all kinds of ways. Mm. Right. Um, but let me, let me, let me offer some other things in that. So Bart was asking me, and, and even like the standing ovation, what's a person supposed to do with that? <laughs> no, honestly, what, how, how are you even supposed to hold that? You can't. That's, that's, that's way too big for a human soul. Um, and, and Bart, you know, we were chatting late last night at, um, back at our place, and he was saying, John, like all day long, I was looking at this and looking at your movement and that kind of thing, and what are you doing with this? And I, Bart, I was trying to think of, I couldn't process in the moment. I, what I said to you in the moment was, it's too much for a soul to take in. Mm. I can take in a face. Mm. I can take in a story. Yeah. And that's very rich. That's very beautiful. But to ask yourself to take in like, <laughs> like a movement of God, you know, it, here's what I would have said. I finally found the right analogy. The, the, the analogy is, it's like trying to read too much scripture at once. Mm. right? It's it just, after a while, you're just kind of bloated and it's, and it numbs you and it, um, you can take in a little, right? But you can't read the whole thing in one sitting or, or, you know, there's all kinds of too much in one sitting. So, um, being kind to your soul, what you ask of your soul. So, I, I, okay. So you asked for some of the secrets. Here we go. Um, benevolent detachment. Mm. The Desert Fathers called it benevolent detachment. It's not cynicism. Mm. It's not resignation. Mm -hmm. It's not hatred. It's not giving up. Benevolent detachment is this. I give everyone and everything to you. Yes. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. Now, here's how this began, because that sounds like super ascetic and very monastic, and it is, and it's wonderful. But here's how it began. I, it, this about, I don't know, several years ago, I would come to God in prayer, and I would be asking about something, something very, very concrete, you know, uh, a decision we needed to make about a trip, or my aging mother and her care, or the conversation that didn't go well at work. So I, I, you know, something very practical, Jesus. And he would say, he would respond, give everyone and everything to me. Mm. And in the beginning, I'm like, whoa, that's really good. I like that. I like, I like the sound of that. And so I, I, would, I would attempt that mm -hmm. as best I could in, in that moment. Okay, Lord, yes. Now, my mom, 
you know, and I would come back and he would say, give everyone and everything to me. Now, I swear to you, he repeated this about every single time I came to him in prayer mm. for anything. He repeated this over months. Mm. And, and after a while, I'm like, give everyone everything to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Now can we move on to the answers that I really need, yes. right? I was irritated by it. I was bugged by it. And then finally, I because I thought I was practicing it. I thought I would do it. Every time he said it, I would do it. Now, and then I realized, oh, my God, I have no idea how much I'm carrying. I just have no idea how much I'm carrying in, in my world out of a good heart, out of some brokenness mm -hmm. and out of a good heart. And, and so this idea of benevolent detachment, I mean, really, I release everyone and everything to you has become an extraordinary lifesaver. Yes. My aging mother, my wife who's about to travel today and how's her flight going to go? I, just all that. Like, Because here's the thing. Augustine said, we must, we must empty ourselves of that which we are full so that we may be filled with that of which we are empty. Mm. Okay? We, are, we need God desperately. Like actually. Yes. Like the being of God into our being. Yes. Right? Um, and, and so in order to get there, we have to release everyone and everything mm. to God. We have to do that. And then here's a practice that came into our world through that. So um, every day in the outpost, monastery bells go off at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And what we practice, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, it's very disruptive. Mm -hmm. you're, you're starting a meeting at 10. It's very disruptive. Mm -hmm. You're on a phone call. What we do is we, we practice the one-minute pause. So here's what I'm going to give you today is the one-minute pause. Because it's accessible and it's sustainable. Mm. That's the problem That's, with most of the spiritual yeah. disciplines. They're yeah. not accessible and they're not sustainable. So yeah. chuck, chuck them. I mean, it's not helpful. It has to be accessible and it has to be sustainable. The one-minute pause, okay? During which I practice benevolent detachment. Because I've already gotten wound up. I'm, I'm already wound mm -hmm. up in my day. I'm cranking or I'm tweaked or I'm pit, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, or I'm, whew, let it go, mm -hmm. let it go, let it go. So we're going to do this right now. Do you happen to have a watch? I don't have a watch. I don't have a phone. Great. I'll Dang. guess it. I'll yeah. guess it. No, it's fine. I, <clears throat> well, we're gonna, it will seem longer to you than it actually is. <laughs> That's the fascinating thing about the one-minute pause. We are talking 60 seconds. And you're going to be amazed at like, whoa, I am. I'm done. Are we done yet? You know. Okay. During which we are going to give everyone and everything to Jesus. 60-second pause. I give everyone and everything to you, God.
while we are in this place, stay in this place. Jesus, Holy Spirit, I give everyone and everything to you. Yes, God. I give everyone and everything to you. I ask you to give me a picture of my soul. Yes, God. You would give me a picture of the condition of my soul. And you don't have to imagine it. You don't have to conjure it. I give everyone and everything to you. No pressure. I pray that you would give to me a picture of the condition of my soul. Some of you saw things like a burned out forest, a desert. You saw just a dish that was empty, things like that. Or, or you saw darkness, kind of something that you couldn't even quite see it because it was sort of shrouded in darkness. Um, and some of you saw things like alpine meadows, the ocean, um, beautiful things. And so Jesus let there be light into my soul. Yes. Let there be light. I invite the light of God into my soul. Invite the light of God. And I invite the river of life. I invoke the river of life into the damaged places of my soul. We're just going to kind of linger with that for a moment. I invoke the river of life into the damaged places of my soul. And some of you saw them or you're beginning to see more of them now. You're imagining it. That's fine. I invoke the river of life. It is, it is the very life of God flowing like a river from his being into your being. So I am invoking, receiving the life of God like a river into the damaged places of my soul, the parched, the barren, the angry, the raging, the locked up, locked down, the fog, the darkness. Let there be light into all of the darkness. I'm invoking the river of life into my being into my soul, into the damaged places of my soul. And then if, if, if you got beautiful pictures and you say, Jesus, do that in my soul. So I invoke beauty. I invoke beauty into the condition of my soul. I invoke abundance and life into the condition of my soul. Invoke, Lord, beauty Scripture says that the desert will become a garden and the parched ground bubbling springs. That there is a greenness and a lushness mm. that is supernaturally available to us. And we are invoking the beauty and the lushness. And then you, you have favorite places, favorite, you know, and it's the ocean or the mountains or a river, 
it, you have favorite places. I invoke the beauty of that into my soul. I invoke the, do that in my soul. Do that into my soul. Living God. River of your love, the river of your glory, the river of your life into all damaged places in my soul. Amen. The care of your soul is first because everything else depends on it. Your wife depends on it. Your kids depend on it. Your mission depends on it. Your joy, for heaven's sakes, depends on it. Your further restoration depends on it. Hanging on to the restoration you currently have depends on it. Everything depends on it, which is why to, to say your soul matters and the care of your soul, it's the first thing to go. It's the first thing to go in a, in a busy, war-torn life, right? So um, some thoughts. You can use the one-minute pause. You can use that. I, I do it every night when I pull into my driveway. I literally lay my head down on my steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Whatever the condition is, whatever the day has been, I give everyone and everything to you, God. But I also do it during the day. Um, I do it in the morning when I wake up and all of that. Um, C.S. Lewis says all of it rushes at you like a pack of wild animals. Um, I give everyone and everything to you. So you can practice that. You can practice the one-minute pause. It's very accessible, very attainable. Um, benevolent detachment in the one-minute pause, but then in other places of your life, going into a meeting, coming out of a meeting, going into a difficult mm-hmm. conversation, coming out of it, I, I release this, God. I give everything and everyone to you. So we live in an absolutely mad world, not just the 93% of your life indoors, but the pace of life is, is um, harsh. It's traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pace of life is traumatizing. There are daily things I do, simple daily things to care for my soul. Another one is allowing the grace of transitions. Okay, so to go from a tender conversation Mm -hmm. with Abigail into a really serious meeting at work is brutal Mm -hmm. on the soul. Mm -hmm. There has to be some sort of transition between that. That's incredibly unkind. And we are forcing our souls through multiple gear changes mm-hmm. every day. Somebody just gives you some traumatic news to you want to go get a burrito, to then you're into a really tough phone call, to then you're late to a job site, and so you got to get there fast, mm-hmm. to, you know, to solving something, to dinner at home. Mm-hmm. And, and then people ask you, how are you doing? And, and you, know, you know what the normal answer is. The normal answer is, really, if you were honest, I have no idea. Mm. Mm. That's, come on. Yeah. Come on. When people, and so instead you say, good, right? You lie, <laughs> but, it, it, but it's not, it, because you just don't know what the answer right. is. It, because you are forcing your soul through multiple gear changes every day, mm. every week, every month, every year. My God, you have got to get transitions back, okay? And I mean, just literally, when you put down the phone from one phone call, before you make another one, you pause, you breathe, you look out the window to see what the day is doing, right? You do nothing, mm. nothing, just 30 seconds. Just give yourself some kind of transition from that thing to this thing, to that thing, to this. just restore 
transition. Yes. Now, this is really, really important in the larger sweep of things. So, you know, last summer we we took our family trip to the Tetons and because of stage of life and because of young kids and, you know, my sons are in this now. They couldn't, they couldn't fit the extra two days of drive time. We used to drive. We love the drive. It's a 10-hour drive, and it is such detox. Mm. It takes 10 hours to detox to get into beauty, rest, vacation, play. They couldn't do it. They had to fly in. So we're like, okay. But Stacey's like, we're driving. You know, we, need, we need that detox time to look at the antelope in the field, to listen to a podcast or some music, to do nothing. So um, it was fascinating because we pick up the kids at the airport and here we go. And they're, they're, they're just mm. like, whoa, I'm not ready for vacation. Like I literally got here in an hour and a half from my world. Mm. And now I'm supposed to just Sabbath? Like you, where's the transition mm. time? You've got to have some trend. And then we could have flown we could, and we could have flown home, but we drove home. Mm-hmm. And we actually spent an extra night in this funky little motel that we love in Dubois, Wyoming, for the purpose of transitions. Yes. You have to build transitions between like work and vacation, vacation back into work from a memorial service for someone you love back into family life from, from the conversation mm-hmm. with, you know, your daughter who's in tears to an angry phone call with your insurance agent. You have got to create transition. Beauty. Beauty is everything. Your soul is nourished by beauty. Your soul is healed by beauty. And you can get it. You can get it. You don't have to go to the Himalaya. You don't have to go, you know, to the Maasai Mara. You'd be wonderful if you could get there. <laughs> Do it once in your life if you can. Um, but daily beauty beauty because there is a there is an assault on your soul all day long in the world and and here's the thing here's here's the little secret to the beauty piece so beauty heals there's a reason that we send flowers to funerals right you ever wonder why we do that why do we do that it's an odd thing somebody died here's some flowers why because we 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 know that words words are Mm. really inappropriate Mm interpretation, encouragement, scripture, you know, totally inappropriate, but beauty is a reminder Mm. that everything is going to be okay. Mm. Okay. So we send flowers, right? Well, you got to get beauty in your daily life. Mm. The frost on your windshield when you get in your car in the morning, right? The sound of rain, right? It's so exquisite. Okay. The way sunlight falls on your kitchen table in the morning. And you're having coffee, you just stop and go, holy cow, that's beautiful. And here's the thing. I receive this beauty into my soul. That's what most people don't do. They look at it and they go, wow. <laughs> just, you know, like you just saw a two-headed rooster and you just, eh, and you, they just go on. There's no reaction to it. They, I receive this beauty into my soul. And with it, your love, Mm. and with it, your love, okay? Beauty heals, beauty nourishes, and the the thing is, so that you don't get taken out by the beauty, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if the beauty is the only beauty in your life, 
because you're parched, right? But if your soul is actually nourished on a regular basis by beauty, you look at that and you go, yeah, wildflower. It's a wildflower. You're, you're lovely. I don't, I don't need to take you, you know? Like you're, that's a wildflower. How lovely. And you're able to go on with your day, right? Because your soul is being nourished by beauty and all music, right? The, the beauty of silence, okay? So what are you doing with the assault on your attention? Your attention is being assaulted for all day long. So if you pull your phone out, right, the assault on your attention. If you get online, the assault on your attention. If you watch any news, if you, any social media, everything knows now, your attention is the last commodity. Mm. It's the last bit of real estate left on the earth is your attention. And everybody is spending millions mm. to try and grab it within five seconds before you can click skip ad, right? Or whatever, you know, swipe or get out of it, right? There's an assault on your attention. Mm. Here's the thing. So all the way down through all the spiritual mm. traditions uh, of Christian disciplines it is the idea that transformation takes place when we are able to give our attention to God mm. or to a grace he is giving, like beauty, okay? So that's where transformation takes place. They looked to him and were radiant, the psalm says. They gave him their attention, yeah. and it had this, you know, wonderful effect on their being. What are you doing with the assault on your attention? You got to fight back, right? Like, and then, and then now... Name your family's cell phone practices. Our mudroom is kind of our vault. And so all the technology gets surrendered in the way into the house. And so if we need it, we get it and we bring it into the home. If we're going to listen to music or we're going to participate with something together, but it lives outside of the sacred space, which is one little door into a small room but we've just had to make a physical barrier, for example, that that stuff comes in with intention because we're using it rather than the default exactly. to fill our time. Exactly. That's Do you example. take your cell phones into your bedroom at night? No, no, they're not. You we're not allowed. We're not allowed and they're not allowed. Yeah. So and okay. no cell phones leave the main communal area. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Do you look at your cell phone first thing in the morning? I wish I could say, I mean, the guideline is no. But as you say that, I also go, oh, there are times. Sure. I mean, there's times it ends up in my bedroom. There. Yeah. But the spirit but is the practice is father. Like I said this yes. morning, right? It's father-centered. It's God-initiated. And it's yep. from that place yep. that then you power on the world yep. and contend. Yep. But when I'm not well, when I'm vulnerable, yep. when I'm weary, when, like you yes. said, it's reacting to my world, yes. I find myself looking yes. at it more yeah. because it's, what fire do I have to put out? Yes. Right? Right. Exactly. Take your attention back. Fight for it. Right? Full on fight for your mm -hmm. attention. Like, I am not going to let all of that, particularly technology, mm -hmm. but media, news, information. So watching the reports on traumatic events is demonstrated to do trauma to the soul. The people that watched mm -hmm. the news reports on 9-11 had the similar PTSD reactions as those who were present. Yeah. Really? 
you're going to, you're going to, so you're just going to scroll through and look at the, all the things going on in the mm. news. I'm like, no way. You can't have my soul. You can't have my soul. Mm. No, I, I am taking my soul back from all of that. Mm. Right. You can't have my soul. Let me say that the whole, the whole goal is union with God. It's union with God. It is the integration of your being with the being of God. Friendship, yes. Sonship, absolutely. Intimacy, by all means. But the goal is union of being. You are a branch in need of a tree trunk. Okay? There is only one tree trunk. And and the, the more that we reintegrate our being into the being of God, we're able to receive healing, counsel, direction, answers. You bet. Answers are important. Guidance, love, affection, interpretation of things, but mostly his life, the life of God flowing into us. We are cut flowers. We we are broken branches Mm. that need to be reintegrated into a unending source of life. And that's why I do these things. Mm. And that's why I don't do those things. Yes. That sucks life from me. This brings life. That takes me away from union with God. This brings me yep. union with God. Therefore, that's what I practice. Last thought. The hour is late. The war is unbelievably gnarly. Okay? You are a group of very, very unique men. Very, very unique. And, 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 and you are a group of warriors. So here's what we have to understand at this point in the war. Some things can be rescued, but not everything. Some people mm. can be rescued, but not everything. And, and you have got to stay tight and ask, am I supposed to be in this? Mm. Is this my fight? Because you're going to see a ton of things that need rescue and intervention. And, and you have to ask. You have to, you have to stay tight and say, can that be accomplished? Can, can we get that done? Or is that something in benevolent detachment I simply have to let go of? We are a group of special forces. And the special forces, when, it, when you know, as many of you know, you, you don't go in and try and take an entire city. You can rescue some. You can rescue some. Mm. And you have to be very tactical Mm. in this hour. You have to be very, very tactical. We have to be very, Mm -hmm. very tactical with, with how much can be done in this hour. And that will save you. That will save you from stuff you are not supposed to be in or stuff that just simply can't, it just can't be rescued. It'll be restored at the renewal of all things right? It'll be rescued then. They'll be rescued then. That will be restored then. But it can't, it can't all get done now. Mm. And we just have to be frank about that because that'll, that'll fry you. That, that'll, that'll really fry your soul as good men wanting to intervene, yes. right? Um, I think what I, I hear most um, in what John shared is this refreshing reminder of our soul matters, our soul matters. It's the center of our life. And our soul has infinite need, and that can only be matched by God's infinite capacity to care for it. In summary, where to land with cultivating 
a habitat for the heart daily, monthly, yearly. It's very personal. And um, those same young guys that I started with, they asked Dallas, what do you do with your 15-minute quiet time in the morning? In his Dallas-esque way, he said, I think God is rather unconcerned with your 15-minute quiet time. The question is, what is it that you do with your other 23 hours and 45 minutes? Right? It's what John's talking about. The heart of the habits and the practices is how we are arranging our days from the frost on the windshield to the real thing in our pocket to slowing down our driving just a bit, our cadence just a bit, our eating just a bit to feel it and be in it in the present moment. And so how are you arranging your days? Are you arranging them so that today and in time and over time, you are experiencing a deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God in a mad world? The habits, the activities, the engaging, abstaining, and your unique, weird, wild, personal ways is the fabric. It's the root system that gets established in the good soil. And in that soil, you know, there are these conditions Jesus talks about, and all of them are present in ways. And this maturation, this healing, this restoration is moving the shallow soil to good soil. And the rocky soil that's competing, our duplicity, right? Our divided heart into good soil and the hardened soil of just the cynical places and the self-sufficient places into good soil. And all that soil is in transition through these habits and the brilliance of it. And God's wildness, you guys, is once you learn that there are no shortcuts and you get that seated in your soul, there actually is one kingdom shortcut. Jesus says it right there in the sower and the seeds that those with good soil produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. It's a really good ROI. That's a supernatural return on investment. And so what's your frontier? That's the question on the table. Maybe two questions for you. What is the condition of your soul? I love the listening prayer John took us into because our soul has a landscape, a landscape. And there are pieces that have been restored and there are other places, the dark forest or the weary, dried out land. What is the condition of your soul? And what is the father wanting to say to you? And then the second question I want to tie in with that is how are you arranging your days? In light of what John shared this morning, observe your life as it is now. And how are you arranging your days? And what is the next path? What's the invitation? What's the draw that you could be put right back into the same circumstances and context that you came from? 
and begin the small, strong, kind shifts towards arranging your days as though your soul matters for the with God life. Friends, this is deep waters and there's so many directions we can go and nuances. This is a really important category to pause and say, Holy Spirit, what, what is the focus that you have for me? It's easy to get overwhelmed when we um, dive into such broad ideas and we were only to go able to go into really a specific area of soul care and rhythm and pace and portion in this particular session. But this is the springboard for chapter eight in Becoming a King, which chapter eight is uh, Becoming Deep Roots. And then session five in the video series and study guide is The Way of Becoming. The further excavation section of the study guide goes really deep in this. There are a lot of book recommendations from Kate Courtley in the Navy SEAL Survival Guide to Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, Dallas Willard, The Spear of the Disciplines, all the way to Allender and Archibald Hart and Brennan Manning, Henry Nowen, Richard Swenson, and so many more. There's films and videos, blogs, podcasts, and, um, and a, just a treasure trove of content. And so my invitation to you is go slow, dig deep, do the excavating, and get curious about this big category of in a context of a habitat, their habits, there's practices, there's ways of living. And we do, um, you know, measure in the decade, but live in the day. And so where would the Holy Spirit have you go in your excavation with this content? And friends, as always with the Become Good Soil podcast, we have a great opportunity here to take 60 seconds to breathe and to locate ourselves in the context, in the refuge, in the spaciousness of the Father's love and the Father's pursuit Through the life of Jesus, he's making the impossible possible. And through the guidance and intimate leadership and teaching of the Holy Spirit, we are being led in the way where it seems there is no way. And so 60 seconds, linger, wonder, be curious. Even now, what is God up to in your heart as his son? Enjoy this time, and we'll be back together with part six of this Become Good Soil podcast series. We'll see you soon.